Hello and welcome to Who Corner to Corner podcast. My name is Jeff and as always I'm joined by my good friend Paul. Yeah, hi. Hello, that's me. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm all right, mate, actually. Yeah, I've still got a little bit of uh, bit of the cold, but yeah, I have COVID poorly. tested, and it's not COVID, so you're quite oh, safe. Oh, good. Hurrah. Well, I'm yeah. nowhere near you anyway, so, you know, I, th- I think I'll be okay. It's the illusion. <laughs> People think we're in the same room. So, um, we're not alone tonight, are we? We're, we're no, joined we are by, not um, alone. We're joined by a very special guest um, yeah. that we've been um, looking to get on the podcast for a while now. We've all been very busy and we finally, finally managed to make the stars align. And um, first of all, I just want to give a, a big shout out and a thanks to my friend Emily Swatton, who uh, has helped arrange this. Um, but we are joined tonight by uh, award-winning playwright and screenwriter Ella Road, who Doctor Who fans might know uh, as the co-writer of the recent Legend of the Sea Devils. Good evening, Good Ella. evening. It's very nice to be here. <laughs> I was going to shout out Emily Swatton as well. You beat me to it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know Emily Swatton. Now I'm feeling kind of left out. But hi, Emily. She's a legend. Uh, she's a legend. Are, is she? <laughs> well, she set this thing up, so she's got to be a legend. Yeah, so she, yeah, she's already got a gold star from, from you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Ella, we've got quite a few questions that we've put together tonight, and um, quite a few things have come in on Twitter that you might have seen as well. Yeah, I had a quick look. So... Uh, Okay, good, good. <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite a lot going on on Twitter today, that's for sure. Yeah, it, um, we we put out the tweet like I said to you earlier, and that just kind of went a bit bonkers quite quickly. I think people were very excited that we were chatting, so so it's been really good. So, Paul, do you want to kick off the questioning tonight? Yeah, definitely. Why not? So, Ella, yes, um, I'm very interested to hear how you got started in the business. So, cause I think you you studied a was it Oxford School of Drama? That's was it? right, as, as an, an actor. actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's how I got into the business, really, um, was through acting. Um, and I'd been writing a little bit before, but not not to show anyone, you yeah. know, like embarrassing, angsty poems. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, well, I was going to say embarrassing, angsty short films. Being there, <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's got a, like a, a folder somewhere yeah. of their uh, teenage heart pouring. Yeah, mine's, mine's just over yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a hard drive that you can't access anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, that, that had been like the way that I'd kind of... Um, played around with writing really and then some short stories yeah. and stuff um and it's funny it's a funny one because actually if I look back it's really obvious that I'd end up writing but at the time it felt oh, really? like a bit of a surprise when I discovered that I could so it's like my parents are like yeah. obviously it makes sense like you were always scribbling scribbling <laughs> away but actually for me I was just had my eyes so firmly set on acting I hadn't really thought about anything else um and actually it wasn't until I trained and then was kind of um in I guess in the room yeah. all the time making stuff that I realized that even though I still wanted to act I, I what I really liked was just making things and that I wanted to be able to make mm. them myself rather than just waiting to, for other people to, to make them and um, so I started started writing and um, was really really lucky that um yeah that that my first play got picked up um I mean, that's yeah, incredible, which, isn't yeah, it? I mean, amazing, was that literally yeah. the first professional piece of work that you did? You hadn't really written much before no, then? No, I hadn't. I'd, I'd, um, I'd Apart from the angsty yeah, letters and, and you know, maybe, look, maybe, maybe like well, obviously. maybe they'll get an yeah. airing one day. Um, well, yeah, they'll come out on a book in you know thirty yes. years oh, time. Oh God, I yeah. really hope not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I am. Um, I yeah, that was the first thing. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd started mm. writing a different play that I'd never that I never finished, and I I showed about fifteen yeah. minutes of it at a scratch night, and that was the first time that I'd had my stuff performed by other people. I performed um, a kind of poet, poetic monologue that I'd written myself at a theatre um just to see if I could so yeah but it really was the first kind of proper piece of work that I'd written and 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 it was a real baptism of of, well not a fire of like you know Mm. joy as well as fire um when it when it (laughs) went on um and I was really lucky to be paired up with a really brilliant um director it was a really exciting time when that when I first found out that the Hampton Theatre wanted to produce my my first play, I was over the moon. It's fantastic. Yeah. So how did it come about with Hampstead Theatre? W- were you sending the script out to people or, you know, agents? You know, how did it, you know, how did one thing lead to another? Um, so I put on a reading of the play. Um, I asked a producer friend of mine, someone I'd known from uni, who was producing, if I could have some money to pay actors to do a professional reading of the play. And I paired up with a director as well that I'd worked with as an actor. And we put on a little reading of it in um, central London, and I invited loads of people. So I invited some um, agents and some uh, uh, like assistants. And also I invited, I basically emailed the info at 
all of the theatres. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, because I've been acting a bit and also I'd had friend, you know, friends who did different creative jobs. I basically just sent a big email out and was like, is anyone interested in coming? And also, has anyone got anyone interesting that they can invite, basically, who might be able mm. to give feedback? Because the initial plan for that reading was to get interest, but also was to just see if anyone had any feedback. So I, like, included a little email address on the cards that I handed out, right. you know, on the programme saying, if anyone's got any feedback, then please give it to me and actually in the end I got an email from the Hampstead Theatre the next day saying um do you want to come in for a meeting so it was a bit of a like you know um yeah rocket field process because <clears throat> um I know like you know having talked to Emily and things in the past <clears throat> you know when an actor's got a show on they will often do what you did you know and, and invite agents and you know industry people to you know to come down and see them uh, with the hope of picking them up yeah <clears throat> and so obviously in your case you know it, it worked it did yeah I mean and and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't and I think it's I don't want to kind of um make it seem like everything just came out of nowhere if you know what I mean because I think that's not helpful for aspiring writers I had spent quite a long time networking and and that sounds like a grim word I don't mean that in a grim way I just mean like I'd been working doing lots of pub theatre as an actor I'd been going to scratch nights I'd been meeting young up-and-coming directors people you know my my peers I think it's it's the most important thing is to find your people who are who are your kind of age your contemporaries and like yeah pair up with them because they're going to be the people that end up you end up working with and they were the people that I invited along really and it just so right. happened that some of those people knew some people who are a bit further on in their careers who then yeah. could actually help me to get a step up so you know there's a it's it's not easy to get people along to stuff um, you really have to mm. to kind of push it. I think what what helped with that yeah. particular play was that it was about something very very specific. It was about um, this particular kind of gen- uh, idea about genomics, um, this kind of sci-fi concept, which I think is a little bit different from what most people write plays about. Um, and not yeah. that no one ever has or will, but you know, I, I included that in the blurb, and I think that did help because I was I kind of was incredibly passionate about the subject matter, rather mm. than just writing a play. I was like, I want to write this play. Um, and that I think that did also help. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it is quite different. I think. Yeah, you, you're right. You know, um, a lot of theatre is it, there's a sort of you know a style to a lot of stuff. You know, themes and and you know something kind of sci-fi is a little bit unusual, isn't it, for for stage? So, how how did the phlebotomist come about? You know, so you said you were interested in that sort of topic. So, did, you know, did you read an article one day and did it, you know, fire something off and, you know, give you the idea what, what kind of inspired it? Um, I've been um, interested in it for several years before I wrote the play, actually. And I've been talking about writing something about it. Um, and then I, had, but I hadn't quite found like the, the story that it, needs, that it was going to be explored through. Mm. Um, you know, because that's the thing. We've all, we're all reading interesting stuff all the time, but finding your mm. way in is the hard bit. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd watched a TED talk. Uh, when I was at university, I was dating someone who um, was a, a bioengineer, well, looking into, at bioengineering as the next, as a career step. And so we were watching loads of these videos of biotechnology. And I remember looking at it and being like, that is fascinating. But, but, but also thinking, well, what are the ethical implications or what are the kind of psychological mm. implications of knowing so much about ourselves? And so I started to do some research and, and over the years, I guess it kind of rolled around in my head and then eventually it came out as a right. play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how how long were you working on it for, and, and how long did the actual you know the the actual writing of it take you? The write the initial draft was incredibly quick. It just like I kind of vomited it out. But I think if we did like a script <laughs> overnight, literally in like a a day, but then actually yeah. if you could did a script compare of that document to the one that got performed, the 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 story's the same, but the actual words are vastly different because you know mm. part of it for me anyway. Often I'll I'll ruminate on a topic or a character or like mm. a kind of relationship dynamic for ages, sometimes years, and then it will come out as a big vomit, and then it'll and then I'll spend ages kind of chipping away to actually make it into a, a script, a performance, like something mm. that would be performed. That's that that's the artist, isn't it? You know, just just get the get the block, yeah. kind of get the mm. the rough shape of it. You know, so you kind of get an idea, and then over time, refine it, chisel it away, make it look beautiful, and 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 give it some life. And and I suppose that that's a thing with um, 
uh, you know, plays and TV and stuff. When you see other people take on the stuff you've written, say the words that you that you wrote, and be the characters that you thought about in here. And do you have a is is there ever a, a, any massive differences that that strike you as surprising? Do people take things in a different way to what you'd written, and, and you think, oh wow, that's pretty good, or why are they doing that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, that's not how I imagined it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it, it's a collaborative process, and and both of those mm. things happen. And and mm. sometimes you, I felt very strong reactions to the way that people have interpreted a particular bit of script or a line or an idea or a character, and sometimes it's a really positive reaction, and sometimes it's like a kind of mm. feeling because you're like, oh, that's not just not at all what I'd imagined. That wasn't what I meant. meant. Yeah. But actually, it's, and then you have to decide <laughs> as, as the writer when you when it's important to intervene and when it's not, because mm. actually sometimes yes. you know what you what you're doing as a writer is you are writing a set of instructions, but they're not. It's not like the instructions to make a piece of flat pack furniture. They're more like a kind mm. of plat- springboard of instructions. So maybe instructions not quite the yeah, right analogy, yeah, actually, because yes. it's kind of like... No, but... A, gu- a, gu- a guidelines, guidelines, right? Yeah, yeah. Guidelines yeah or like you're giving yeah. people... It's also, it sounds very wanky. It's very difficult to talk about it and, and with an analogy without it sounding <laughs> no, but... really wanky. But it's like, um, you know, you're giving people all of the different uh, tools, yeah, and then you're hoping that they're going to yeah. put them together in a way that makes sense. But actually, you can't decide exactly what it's going to look like. And I think it would be mm, wrong mm. to... Uh, particularly in theatre, I think it's. I think yeah. that there's a reason why film writers, uh, film directors and writers are often the same person, as in often people write films mm, to direct mm. because the process for screen is quite different to theatre because you are writing where the camera's looking, and it's much mm. more of a kind of um, visionary process. Whereas for theatre, I'm very character and idea driven in the way that I. Um, make theatre and so I think that yeah. uh, I like to work with lots of other people because I'm like I'm only a small part of this and I don't want to decide where you're, where yeah, the eyes yeah. are you know I want to like yeah hand something yeah, yeah that's a very interesting point yeah I suppose when you're writing for for stage you you're you're not really concerned about what it's going to look like or what's happening or where people are you, you it's all about the characters and, and the drama and the emotion things like that but yeah when you're writing for screen there's a different kind of thought process that, that goes into it uh, I think isn't For there sure. you know you, you, you're visualizing it yeah a I mean more. it's probably really different depending on on, on the diff, the writer the different writer and also like obviously not everyone works across all of the mediums because they are very different They're, I'm I'm really yeah. enjoying mm. my um journey as a, as a screenwriter at the moment and it's even very different between TV and and film because film is much more for me visual whereas TV is much more plot yeah. driven and actually kind mm. of um learning what role you take as a writer in those different mediums is a really fascinating process i feel like i'm at school every day you know it's yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so you're saying you, there, there's this kind of um not not so much a conflict but a difference between a sort of plot driven story and a more character-based story in the doctor who piece legend of the sea devils you probably got both of those mm. things together because you've got an adventure story which relies on fast-paced action moving from one quick scene to another but as we all know, at the heart of that story is a very strong character piece, which um, which which had Doctor Who fans just screaming with love and adoration yeah. the world over. <coughs> you you guys made a lot of people very happy. <laughs> a lot of people very. Oh, I'm happy glad. Yeah. No, you're right. It was. It's both. Yeah. I think Doctor Who's a very particular universe, isn't it? And it's a very particular style. Mm. So it has to be plot driven because that's what people want and that's what we need mm. and there's always like yeah. an action packed uh, story at the heart of it but i think because we've got some we've got these well loved characters um and these very well drawn characters as well uh, y- you know you owe it to the, the audience to marry those two things together um, mm. yeah yeah b- because i think it, it, you know big spectacle stuff action adventure films whatever you know that's that's fun but it, it doesn't really mean anything in in the end if you don't connect <gasps> with the characters, you know. Yeah, you're right. And and uh, you know, it's like I always use the Transformers films as an example. But yeah, yeah, robots smashing stuff up is great. But that's that's literally all it is. You know, yeah. there's no there's no character, there's no journey, there's no there's no drama or, or emotion in it. But but like you said, Ella, Doctor Who, it's it's kind of you know putting both of them together. Yeah. And and you know, I sometimes think about like um, you know Battlestar Galactica, which was a really great drama with lots Ooh, of really f- fantastic characters. Yeah. It just it just happened to be on a spaceship, and and that's almost sort of irrelevant mm. to 
everything else that's going on you know so i i think that yeah p- putting uh you know the, the two together is, is vital for making this kind of you know sci-fi fantasy stuff yeah massively work, i mean that's what people you know, long, long really term. connect to isn't it they mm. um you know you can feel i imagine if you put a load of kind of um what are they called you know like measuring devices on people's brain what are they called those things yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a sci-fi writer i should know yeah um, um <laughs> an ecg yeah. or something is it yeah, something like that yeah, yeah. Like electrodes electrodes on the yeah. face and stick a needle in the brain <laughs> that kind, kind of thing, thing. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That kind of watch but you know it. like yeah, when yeah, people yeah, yeah, were do. watching action films like obviously you yeah. get people's heart racing and all the mm. same watching doctor who you know those fast paced moments or the bits where the plot gets really really quick and really gnarly um, or where there's a mystery. I'm sure you get a kind of um, physical and neurological reaction, but I reckon mm. the bits that really make something physical happen in people's bodies is when there's a character, as there's a relationship yeah. dynamic shift. And yeah. I would mm. love to do a- some kind of experiment yeah. um, on people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know, do you you know can't what? put it away, can you? You can't resist. I just want to experiment on people. <laughs> I think... I think you've just had a new a new script idea Maybe. there. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we, we look, yeah. we'll look. We'll have a small credit for you know, the germ of an idea. Or that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just down the bottom. We're cheap. Don't yeah, worry about that. Very, you know? very tight. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll come back to Doctor Who in a in a minute. But um, one of our questions was science fiction or science fact in re- in relation to the phlebotomist. Oh yeah, what a good question. Um, that's Paul's one, not mine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, all of the stuff in the play is based on research of, you know, real mm. science. So I suppose from that perspective, it's science fact. Um, but I think the fiction for me comes in the way that the society responds to that technology. And mm-hmm. so what I was trying to do in the play is look at a kind of extreme dystopian route that we may go down if um if people start to discriminate based on people's genetics and i think that Mm. for me it's not as fictional as it may seem but i think i would be a real nihilist and like a a depressive which i'm not i think (laughs) if if i if i thought that that was how society a is Mm. or would be will will you know go down down, i think we're not as far off as, as as people think well, I think you you know it can be seen in stuff like like my wife had um, you know a, a, you know d- like DNA kind of family history testing right. done recently you know and you get all the results back of you know the the stuff like you know you've got this percentage of you know this part of the world and this percentage of that but but things like you know this is your percentage chance of getting this mm-hmm. disease and this sort of thing and mm. you know. Could they start telling you well you you will die on this date because of this do you know what I mean like and that. It, it can be quite scary. She said, do you, do you want to, to get your results? I was like, not really. I don't really want to know what's coming for me down the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean... So it's... Yeah, it's fascinating. I think some people really want to know and some people don't. And that's another thing that I found mm. really fascinating is that actually for some people it gives them a sense yeah. of control, even if they the things that they find out aren't things that they can do anything about. I mean, one of the amazing, yeah. amazing things about genomics, and I imagine the reason why your wife got these tests done, mm. is that for many things, actually, if you do have early signifiers, you can take some action and that is wonderful i mean that's an incredible yeah. opportunity for modern medicine that's a big positive of course isn't it, it is i think what's difficult is that a lot of the things aren't that accurate and so mm. it freaks people out and then also at the moment we don't have necessarily the capacity to preemptively or like pre-symptomatically treat these things so actually it means that people just mm. have this info and can't do anything um but, or yeah. they have a kind of um you know our, our national health service you know amazing but also struggling as we know and like you know yeah. my mum's a gp and i remember having a conversation with her and i was like well what happens if people get these tests done and they come into you and they say look i've got 24 percent chance of developing pancreatic cancer or something and actually mm. um we at the moment she, what she's supposed to do with that information basically there's nowhere to kind of direct people i think that um yeah. for some stuff yeah, you can actually preemptively mm. do do things, and then for some stuff you can't. But I think for me, what's super yeah. interesting about it, rather than taking it really literally, is actually just basically looking at what this incredible information technology does. But when you place it in a neoliberal society that we live in, so it's like this science is developed for good, but like science doesn't exist in a vacuum. And that's where science fiction mm. comes in, right? Because you kind of look at what you, right, you know, if, yeah. you, if you combine this technology with the 
the the culture that we live in, what happens then? And actually, we live in a culture where That's, you know people are yeah. discriminated against, and also where mm. um, people are you know treated as commodities and are profited off. Yeah. <laughs> and where in in kind of mass culture, something which seems in in one respect quite innocent, this idea of ranking mm. things from sort of naught to ten becomes. Mm everything that your life is kind of pivoting on right or your status in yeah. life mm. massively yeah ju- just uh, a we, number yeah which again we can kind of see parallels too but you're taking it further aren't you it's it's you know using what's happening right now and, and mashing things together yeah massively and i think health inequality is a really um important political subject that isn't like mm. spoken about enough um mm. it's actually you know, people's access to healthcare is is makes a huge difference on their life expectancy and their quality of life. Um, and if you create a system whereby yeah. some people have better access to healthcare than others, which mm. hey, well, yeah, does already exist, then then actually yeah, that will create it. You know, it will give them a different type of poverty. It will give them a health poverty, and that's mm. incredibly problematic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's like I'm still fascinated by that subject matter. You know, I wrote that play yeah. a good few years ago now, but I feel like particularly during yeah. the pandemic, it all felt very, very, very relevant again. Yeah, of course. You know, looking yeah. at kind yeah. of um, yeah. re- people's um, relationship with risk and like the psychological mm. impact of of risk uh, analysis on a day to day basis, and that felt like something that was explored in the play as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I think we need to pick yeah. it up. <laughs> Anyone think we're living in a dystopia? <laughs> but that's the thing. It's it's like um, you know, I mean, stuff like um, what's it, nineteen eighty four, mm. which you know, you can sort of point. I mean, it's it's horrific the stuff that goes on in here, and yet you can still pull parallels to to what we see around us. But I think it's important that you know sometimes we just do have giant robots just trashing continents and things because sometimes that's just what we need yeah, isn't it? fully you know yeah yeah and, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, and i'm quite surprised actually that jeff was putting down giant robots just trashing each no other. no i, I like I giant robots trashing stuff. <laughs> yeah but um you know they, they, there's got to be there's got to be someone in it that uh i, I care about mm-hmm. you know absolutely and right. and uh yeah, as yeah. you know slightly off topic one of my favorite films ella is alita battle angel um and it's about a cyborg girl but she's got the, this wonderful kind of joyful personality and fascination with the, right. with the world and stuff but but discovers that she's more than she thought she was and and uh i keep saying to paul he, he needs to watch it and he hasn't done it yet <sighs> but you know it's 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 robots and you know kind of futuristic kind of sport and stuff like that. Cool. But if if it wasn't for that character, none of the rest mm. of the stuff would be. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have watched it more than once. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's engaged me so so much because of the, the mm, character mm. in it. You know, so yeah, that that's my recommendation. Cool. I will, to go, go I will check watch it. Out. it. Um, but I think on that note, no, but I think that a lot of the but what you were saying rings really true for me too because it's like ultimately yeah. it doesn't matter how high concept the science fiction mm. is or the you know action is like ultimately what we're interested in is where the humanity is within the story yeah. and that humanity may be in a cyborg girl but it's that we are look as humans we're searching for something which is you know idiosyncratic uh, or yeah or hopeful yeah. often as well and i think that even yeah. you know sci-fi has a bad rep a bit because often we do explore dystopias but i think within dystopia we have this incredible opportunity to to work out where the hope is mm. and actually sometimes yeah. I, I come out of dystopian fiction uh, experiences whether that's a book or a film or a tv series actually yeah. feeling a, quite like a greater sense of defense for the hope that there is because actually we've been mm. yeah, you know you're yeah, kind of yeah. having to work hard to find it and it's always there it's always there yeah but that, I, I'm very drawn to kind of positive characters and, and positive stories and, and that's one of the things with Alita for example even though it is it is set in a in a dystopia mm. and stuff but going back to Doctor Who you know the Doctor's one of the most kind of hopeful and, and positive characters out there particularly Jodie's yeah. uh, you know in, incarnation of her which is one of the reasons why mm. you know Paul and I you know love her um, interpretation of it you know and and yeah you know you, you kind of is cinema and TV is is entertainment, and you you want to come away feeling something, and sometimes you you want you know to be challenged and and think about something, but other times you want joy and and happiness, and that's kind of yeah one of the most important things I think. I fully agree. Escapism. That was beautifully. Yeah. Uh, Escape as well. Th- oh, thank you. I, I have written that. I've written <laughs> it. I've written it down here. You know. <laughs> um, I so think you're I, quite right. 
quite right. I've, we've got a question here. So, but, um, how did the <laughs> how did the call for for Doctor Who come oh, through, yeah. and how did you feel when you were asked to write with Chris Chibnall? <laughs> um, so <laughs> I got a call um, from this, one of the script editors, Rebecca, and um, because we'd worked yeah. together before. In fact, she she was one of the people that I'd invited to the reading of the Phlebotomist. Okay. And then past year, at the time she'd been working with an agent and had passed me on to that agent. Um, so we'd, yeah, we'd kind of had quite a lot of conversations about writing already. Mm. But um, she just called me up and she said, I'm just going to warn you, tomorrow you're going to get a call. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's, and she that's was like, honest. you're going to have to make a decision really quick. You're gonna, well, I think she, I don't think, yeah. I think it was that they had, they had worked out scheduling wise that they needed an episode earlier than they thought. Yeah. Um, as right. often happens in TV, you know, you've got you're mm. having to manage all these different people's schedules, um, all the different actors mm. and the filming dates and locations and everything, studio time, set builds, special effects, everything. And they'd obviously worked out mm. they needed to shift some stuff around and that they had a gap, but during that gap, they actually didn't have a script. Um, and that was pretty right. soon. And so they'd worked out that they needed someone to come on board. And Chris wasn't going to have time to come up with it himself. And I think he also wanted mm. another writer to come on. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's done that quite a bit, isn't he? Yeah. With with you know over mm. his time, you know, um, people you know who've, who've written stage and done uh, you know short films and things like that. He's he's been really um, good at kind of bringing new talent in and, and new voices. Yeah, I think. massively. And I think it's good for everyone, right? Um, mm. But yeah, I think that you know he doesn't need to do that. So it's brilliant that he's championing those championing those people. But I also yeah. think it helps Definitely. the work because you bring fresh ideas. In. Yes. and like I think that when you're in the woods like that I can't imagine what it's like to work on a long running show like that as the showrunner to be honest because <laughs> you're kind of just in it all the time all the you know time. when I was yeah. when I was yeah, yeah when I was um, working with him he was working like three different episodes at the same time and I was like I don't know how this guy's wow. doing it is he sleeping I don't know <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah no they I, I, Rebecca gave me a bit of forewarning but yeah they cause, because yeah. she said that, that they needed someone in, to say yes very quickly and she wanted to give me a bit of time to sleep in it she knew that I was pretty busy working on some other stuff um right and I remember thinking me really like why me <laughs> um and then I was thinking oh actually maybe it does make more sense than I thought because I've never expressed any massive like desire to write for Doctor Who it's not that I haven't wanted to it's just that it's just never been yeah. you know kind of genre wise mm. I'm not wasn't necessarily writing in that area um you know mm. I don't comp some comedy and sci-fi but actually never really married the two together not that Doctor Who's necessarily yeah, comedic but yeah. it's because you've got that kind of lightness to it it can um, be, it can be comedic yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but no I just felt really excited mm. and I also Brilliant. we were at that yeah. time when we were just, just coming out of the oh god whichever lockdown it was I think it was the final lockdown <laughs> one of the many I think it was the final one and I um, yeah. was just ready for some fun adventures and I'd really told myself during those couple yeah. of years because like, I felt like I had no control over my life like most of us and I was so lucky to be working yeah. but I really did think I don't have any idea what I'm doing um and like what the <laughs> next year's gonna hold and I couldn't plan any of my yeah. theatre stuff and actually I just told myself I'd say yes to everything and it's been a really yeah. exciting decision because I've said yes to some really fun yeah. stuff including Doctor Who that's awesome yeah, so yeah. it's very exciting so uh, what was <laughs> the um collaborative process like on on the episode and and what was it weird sharing writing duties with with someone um it was less weird because I'd just come out of a writer's room um, like the year yeah. before, which was very collaborative. And so I was pretty used to it. I also think that I do quite a lot, even though when I write generally, it's quite solitary. I like uh, being involved in rehearsal processes and like being in the room and I feel like I'm quite a like, positive collaborator. I think that's where the, some of the best mm. stuff's made. Um, and so I was, I was actually really excited about that. Um, it's always really brilliant when you're given an opportunity to work with a much more experienced writer. Um, you know, because like, Chris really lives and breathes TV and for me that's still something that's quite new and so just being able to be yeah. in space together looking at how he makes you know how he works was really helpful um I think the way that we worked it's not like it's not like we had the script together I wrote the first three drafts and then he took it and did an, an overwrite so it's not like we were kind of mm. both handing the script backwards and forwards which I think right. does happen sometimes but I think we didn't have time mm. for that but he was in the middle of doing a whole other episode so um, I just did the first, like we came up with the story together over three days, bashed loads of stuff out. I did a couple of drafts and then went back to Wales to meet him again for just a day 
and we did a load more yeah. wrangling because we realized that structurally some of the story didn't quite work and then i did one more draft and then and then he took it over um yeah, yeah. right so it's kind of um co-writing is an interesting one um yeah like because you're actually <laughs> it, there are many many different ways that you can do it um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think that some people choose to like literally share a file on a laptop and do it like that. I think I would be too much of a control freak because I would be like, "What did you change?" Like I like yeah. I like being able to see. <laughs> yes, that was different yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Um, whereas in a way, it's kind of easier if you just hand it backwards and forwards over time. Mm. I suppose the difficult thing is, is you know, I always knew that because he's a showrunner. There's a kind of particular yeah. kind of creative dynamic there, whereby I make a lot of decisions, but actually I don't get sign off on the final script because it's a it's a co, yeah, co thing yeah. um and the showrunner regardless of whether they co-written it almost always does a, a rewrite uh in tv yeah. and mm. so you know you don't necessarily know i didn't see the production script before it you know before it went in right. um, but that's really normal that's um, really normal yeah yeah yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you you do have to uh you know in the sort of work that we do accept sometimes that you are not always going to have that kind of degree of control mm. Massively, and also, you know, his knowledge of the of the Doctor Who universe and all of the previous episodes mm. is just astronomically bigger than mine. And so, I needed him, right? <laughs> you know, I remember when I got the job, I was like, "Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have. I'm not going to have time because it's such a quick process yeah. to go back over the whole." Yeah. yeah. Can you yeah. watch sixty years of <laughs> TV? Yeah, I said I, I haven't got time to do the revision, and he was like, "Don't worry, we employed you for your ideas and your like." you know yeah, some yeah, of the yeah, other stuff yeah. rather than for your not you know your encyclopedic knowledge of Doctor Who and I was like thank god for that yeah <laughs> well Paul I wonder what you think of that because you know I What's think that, that's that I think that's good I don't think that being a fan has to be a requisite for writing no, no, no. anything absolutely you know no, no, you, you don't you, right. you know like uh you know you, you don't have to have watched a show mm. to then appear in it you know uh and so it's it's about the talent and what people are bringing to it so you know you may not have had a, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of Doctor Who. I, I don't think that that matters. It shouldn't be a, a requirement for it. No, so. I don't think so. Particularly in a special like that, where it's kind of self-contained. I think that mm. if I had done, mm. if I had had more time, then I would have gone and done some more uh, watching and reading and yeah. learning, just because it, I think it, it helps. And I, I always like to be really prepared for the things that I do. You just sometimes yeah. can't, you yeah. know, can't, and you just got to dive right in. And I think that because I knew that we were going to be doing it together, Chris and I. Um, it was a, a particular kind of relationship where, you know, I was just like, it was like a big creative brain gym um, rather than a, yeah, like a rather than a, <laughs> rather than a kind of... Um, just mind you for ideas. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's kind of what it's like being a writer sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you don't know which ones are going to live as well or which ones are going to... Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, on shows mm. that, like some of the stuff that I'm creating myself I will you know you go, I go about it in a completely different way because I'm going to be the person yeah, running the yeah. show and so I'll need to know absolutely every single tiny mm. corner of whatever universe I'm creating because I need to because yeah. I'm the one that's holding everything together but I think it's a real yeah, it's a real yeah. gift being brought in as a writer like I was on mm. Doctor Who because actually I was just given a little moment to have some mm. fun and was held mm. within the kind of bosom of of the yeah. of the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how Chris would feel about me talking about him as a bosom, but that's, yeah. that, that's beautiful. See that's, that's, yeah. that's why you're that's, a writer. Right that's there. an image. That's what there. that is. It's quite interesting that you're talking about show running stuff and you creating things and universes and stuff. Oh, you mean of my own stuff? Well, essentially, I mean, yeah. I use the word universe quite quite kind of loosely there because it's not like um. I, I'm not specifically writing things that are, are science fiction in that way. But when I kind of create worlds, whatever, whether they're worlds within our current world or worlds within an imagined world, you, mm. you, you still kind of have to find out what the rules are and like what the tone is, yeah. what yeah. people do in mm. this world tonally and like what the kind of um, characters, where, where the edges of the characters are and where like the kind of edges of your vision it is. I suppose as a writer, yeah. so that's kind of what I meant. But yeah, I've got I'm working yeah. across quite a lot of different genres at the moment, which is really fun. So I'm having to kind of work out, Ooh, yeah, work out kind of what, yeah. literally what those worlds are. Um, <laughs> what the worlds are, yeah. Uh, sorry, Paul, you were, you were just about to ask a question there. 
I, I, I was actually. I was, I was just just going back to uh, back to the Doctor Who stuff and this collaboration with Chris. Um, and actually, I, so I, I was going to ask why Sea Devils, but then one of our Twitter contributors, um, Orinoco McGee at Deadly Night, uh-huh. uh, kind of phrased it a little bit better than me. Hi, Ella. Wonderful land parasite. Get that. There's Sea Devils yeah. quote there. Lovely. <laughs> Loved your episode. Reminded me of Pirates of the Caribbean, but with epic pirate alien turtles. So what made you want to bring back the Sea Devils and place them in a pirate-themed setting? And that, and that kind of links into another question was, did Chris have it a does. shopping list of yes. stuff that he, he wanted to, in the did, story? Did Chris kind of say, Ella, it's going to be sea devils. That's what we want in the story. Like, just put them in there. Don't care how he looks. Just put them in, like... That's that's my That's Christian not how he sounds. That's definitely not how he sounds. Sorry, Chris, I didn't mean it. <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't want to disappoint the fans, but I am... Um, no, it wasn't my idea to bring the sea devils in. Um, yeah. in the first place so that they they were mm. and that was already an idea on the table they said that they didn't right. didn't was have it? to yeah. feature but I liked the idea oh, of them oh, right. yeah they were like with what we're thinking mm. it, you know I kind of came into the room it's actually really fun being able to talk about this properly now because because yeah. I guess I couldn't give anything away before. Yeah, embargoes are lifted. No NDAs now. Yeah, we can talk about but it. Yeah, when we spoke a while ago, the, the episode hadn't aired yet, wasn't it? And you said, well, I can't really say much at I the know. moment. So we said, okay, <laughs> let's, let's wait till it's been out yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they knew that they would that they were interested in a kind of nautical-themed um, mm. piece and that it was going to be a long one. And that, um, and that they, so they wanted something at sea. They weren't quite sure where. Um, but they didn't want it to be like a space-themed thing. They, they wanted it to be like an Earth-bound uh, yeah, story. Yeah. And they had the idea of re- kind of inviting back this um, monster from the past. And um, that was kind of where we were, we started. Um, there was mm. a kind of vague idea about having some kind of fleet of ships, possibly pirates, um, but we hadn't got very far yet. And then the weekend yeah. before I got the train up i um i was looking doing a load of pirate research and chatting to some friends and i i was reading about madam ching and i thought that would be really cool mm. um and definitely had pirates of the caribbean music in my head whilst i was writing it because <laughs> yeah. i think even almost kind of like visually we wanted it to feel like pirates of the caribbean but with mm. a, a twist um and it mm. felt really, really, really exciting to set it in southern China as well, because I think that's, a, yeah. you know, we, yeah. we haven't really visited uh, that part of the world much. Um, and also, yeah. um, it just meant that kind of we could combine lots of like visuals. So it's like it could feel mm. like Pirates of the Caribbean, but it definitely wasn't Pirates of the Caribbean. It definitely wasn't the Caribbean. <laughs> yes, it was like um, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean jacked up on you know sci-fi mm-hmm. uh you know juice you know the the uh, flying pirate ship with those green cylinder things underneath that you know were, were making it yeah. fly it was such a cool image really wasn't fun it? making you know, it was, it was, yeah it was great yeah, yeah really fun. I, think, I think a lot of the imagery in that story was was really quite striking because it really was a proper mishmash mm. of sci-fi mm. and pirate nautical adventures and history and you had all the Asian flavors and the designs and the colors coming through you had the, all the alienness of the sea devils all the water yeah. the flight it was it's really it's quite incredible yeah, really. it's you great, think you know, about it all in what 50 minutes or so yeah. not even 50 minutes I mean. yeah so the, the costumes were amazing you know the, the yeah. prosthetics and the sea devils looked great the, the ship that was built, the you know the CG work on it, uh, you mm. know, but then you know all the character stuff on top of it. Yeah, it was it was so oh, good. Oh yeah, I um, thought they did such an amazing job. The the CGI team and the obviously mm. the costume department and everyone. Um, yeah, because it's it's a real mishmash. Like you said, it's a real mishmash of of kind of visuals. Um, yeah, I think it's because it's because it wasn't a historical app. It's it's almost a, sh- a shame that, that we didn't yeah. get to spend more time exploring that fascinating bit of history because mm. actually we spanned mm. two time periods um, of Chinese yes. history, yeah. like kind of nautical history, and because yeah. it wasn't you know there wasn't space to really dig in, and I think that um, that's a shame because I, I loved. I loved the research that I did for it. It just, you know, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't. I was going to ask, because you do a huge amount of research Not for loads it. and loads, but I just did, you know, always, always you've yeah. got to read. And I, also it was yeah. one of those, mm. um, you know, things I just wanted to read about. You know, it was, it was um, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. kind of a, an well, amazing real life female pirate 
um, mm. from from China yeah. who was just Which like is, doing was, yeah. cool stuff <laughs> and like yeah. living an amazing yeah. life. And I just wanted to yeah. spend more yeah. time with Madame Chi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and had a long life apparently yeah. as well, didn't she? Yeah. she? She lived a quite a good yeah, old age. Did. Yeah. Maybe uh, one day you'll get to do the Target novel of Legend of the Sea Devils <gasps> and get to expand upon it. So I, I don't know if you know the Target novels. There were they're novelizations of various episodes, aren't they? Pull all the old classic stuff. Yes, but they're yes. expanded upon, and you know things are enriched, and mm. you know go deeper on stuff. So, yeah. uh, like or if you they, don't have time to write it, I'll uh, I'll stick my hand up right. <laughs> yeah. Don't you worry yeah. about it's it. It's good to know you're there. For I'm me very for, good at yeah. uh, You got my yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Once upon a time, there was some sea devils, and yeah. they had a bit of a plan to take over the world. Starting in, in, in China <laughs> or thereabouts. So, or thereabouts, yeah. So um so we've got some um, we got some tweets in, but I just want to ask one question. So yes. the, on, the giant the giant sea creature <gasps> So whose idea was that, Ella? Where'd that come from? That was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> was it really? Idea? Oh awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well originally things we didn't know what they looked like because we just knew that yeah. I was just calling him a sn- or them a sniffer dog. At the beginning, because okay. like, as in, they weren't actually yeah. going to be a dog, but it was just um, we didn't know what they were going to look like because we had to yeah. just work yeah. with the yeah. with the, vis- the visual effects people. So I remember when I was beating it out, um, just calling it Sniffer Dog because it was just this idea that they had a kind of pet, a really nasty yes. pet that, yeah. that did deeds for them. And um, one of the first images that I had for the for it, I remember we were all sitting in Chris's kitchen and we were thinking about how we might want to start. Yeah. We were talking about there being, yeah, like a fisherman on a boat and then suddenly you just see a shadow. Um, and just, then, you know, it's a kind of classic yeah. trope, isn't it, from like um, mm, the beginning Jaws-y, of Jaws yeah. or yeah, things like that. And you just sort yeah. of see like, like the reaction on the fisherman's face or you see a shadow kind of passing over and then just oh, nothing. And I remember we were a bit like, hmm, but that can't be a sea devil because that doesn't really work. And then, you know, thinking, <laughs> I, I was just like really obsessed with this idea of there being something creepy in the water. Yeah. And then we had a really fun meeting with the um, CGI people the zoom i actually screenshotted the zoom though obviously couldn't share it with anyone but it was just when they first brought their ideas and we had all these amazing different sea creatures (sighs) from like books and magazines and like his you know other fiction um they'd made a kind of montage and i was like oh maybe it's a mixture of that one and that one and like but you know it wasn't really my job (laughs) i was just sitting in on the call because i thought it was cool i didn't (laughs) yeah Yeah. they were they were doing their thing they're all experts in monsters so yeah yeah, it, it was yeah. it was really cool, wasn't it? Yeah, we we love that. Yeah, um, so Paul, do you want to go th- to some of the tweets that have come in? Yes, I will. I'll start with uh, I'll start with a quite straightforward one here, which is from Dom at Dom Tohu, who says, who asks rather, how would you describe your experience of working on Doctor Who in a, in a short, succinct kind of way? Pleasurable. Not so pleasurable, fun, not so fun. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> How would you describe I'd it? I'd say it was it was as fast paced as the episode is. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was quick, it was fun, it was exciting, it was imaginatively stimulating, um, and kind of bizarre. Bizarre, yeah. In a good way. It's a bizarre yeah. it's mm. a bizarre thing being a writer. It's a funny job. It's a funny, yeah. funny job, and it's a particularly funny job working on something that, um, you know, is not like your own authored piece. So, I, like I kind of mm, said before, yeah. I was, I was, I was bringing some ideas into a space, but I wasn't, you know, seeing it right until the, the end, and, that and that's space. exactly what mm. I knew I was doing, and because that is the, the yeah. job, um, and so I yeah. just felt really like lucky, yeah, to be invited into this institution and like to to throw some cool ideas in and to have a play, and yeah, also yeah. to bring a little, yeah. hopefully, just a little bit of my voice somewhere. You know, yeah, um, but that's yeah. Not, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> um, so we got a, a quick question here from Maria Antonio, um, who's at Maria Ann two two nine zero seven five seven six. I always love those usernames, don't I, Paul? Um, <laughs> you do. What did she? What did you enjoy most uh, about writing this episode? And that's also actually similar to a, que- a question from Courtney, who's at Time Maximoff oh, yes. underscore. Uh, she says, uh, I really want to know what your favourite part of writing the episode was. I loved it so much and it was so action-packed. Um, I remember really clearly writing the scene where they go down to the seabed. 
Um, and it's yeah. like, and I remember thinking it was the moment of calm after all of this, like, kind mm. of ferocious plot. And then suddenly they just mm. get this moment of quiet. And I just imagined it being so beautiful and calm and, like, romantic, but not even necessarily because of the, you know, other stuff that we may talk about. But, like, yeah. I just mean, like, actually, <laughs> genuinely just it being this kind of um, moment of wonder. You know what, it... Yeah. It was, yeah. You know the really the music was. on there, the the, you know that great big shot of the TARDIS at the bottom of the ocean, and then and then the dialogue and the actions between the two of them there. It was, it was yeah, a great scene, and it and like you said, it was that moment of calm. It was it was lovely. Yeah, and I think yeah. for me, like stealing those little moments of calm among all the action were mm. the were the most exciting things. I found it really one mm. of the best things about writing it. Yeah, was was being able to engage this childish bit of my imagination where everything or anything could happen. But then also being able to pair that with a, with a, these little moments of like humanity and calm. Mm. So yeah, for me, the most exciting bits were those like hiatuses um, in a way. Mm. And like, but yeah, I mean, I loved so much of it. I really did. I just felt, feel like it was a yes and, yes and, yes and, yes and process, um, which yeah. is quite rare, quite yeah. rare yeah. actually. We've got one here from Sophie, who's at Sophie the Otter, who, who contributes quite a few questions actually and they're all actually, very good aren't they one of her questions that we've asked a couple of times to our guests is if you oh. were a biscuit <laughs> you were a biscuit ella what what would you be so um i know that you, you can answer straight that right off the now. bat oh, yeah. okay yeah i would be yeah. um a, a fox's ginger crunch oh oh i like, like they are yeah. they are the best one. biscuit because they are <laughs> unequivocally yeah, I'm, so, I'm yeah. not gonna have an argument about this guy Um, (laughs) they're just you get two spicy delicious ginger biscuits and then a bit of cream in the middle and i just don't think you need anything else can't go wrong can you can't go wrong wrong with that anyway sophie's sophie's non-biscuit related question says um hi i love this episode so much that's a common theme by the way what did you intend for the audience to take from the scene where the doctor skims the stone and from the look on her face at the end of the episode now then now we're going straight into character stuff now. Yeah, good question. Sophie. I think what's, it's worth mm. prefacing this with the fact that my interpretation is only one interpretation of the episode. So it's of like, are there yep. are things that I've written that, that actually the actors have their own way of interpreting it. And so yeah. does the director and, and so does Chris, obviously. And then so does the audience. And I don't, and this isn't a cop out because I will answer the question, but I do actually think, I do actually <laughs> think it's really important that, that, yeah. that for us to like appreciate the power of ambiguity um, yeah. in these moments, and I don't, I think there's, it would be wrong if you thought that what the writer thought was the right was the correct answer, because because yeah. like yeah. when you're writing scripts, you really are just offering up a load of ideas for interpretation, and you're mm. not. It's quite rare that you're like, this is what it means. Um, yeah, because pe- people react to things differently, don't they? And they and they can read into things and you know re- receive things differently. So yeah, I, I think what you've what you've just said there is very true. You know, you, you've got your your take on it, but that doesn't make it the take necessarily. No, and often what you're searching for when writing is a purposeful um, mm. ambiguity or a kind of like multi- multifacetedness, so that people can <gasps> you know that. so that so that you're purposefully making things. Um, multi-dimensional so that people so it's a kind of self-reflective experience when the audience is watching it um so it's not yeah. supposed to be clear what well, that's that scene mm. at the end is not supposed to be clear and that's why i know a lot of people have been like t- tweeting me being like but what does it mean and it's like the whole point what is does it, it mean? you, what you does it take mean? from it what you will oh, that's quite interesting, you know you're supposed to watch yeah. that and it's supposed to mean different things for different people because i think so you know yeah, yeah. yeah i think that it's really important that 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 for me, we are exploring mm. the queerness of the relationship. But when I say mm. queerness, I don't just mean in a. I'm not. I'm talking about kind of political queerness and like mm. queerness as a as a as a in its most true um, form, which is ambiguity, which yeah. is this kind of rejection of traditional ideas of of sexuality and gender and of living and mm. of relationships, and actually that a yeah. relationship doesn't have to exist in this very kind of traditional binary way and so a relationship can be queer without anyone ever entering into a conversation about sexuality or Mm. or gender and actually it more being about kind of the fact that there is a something there 
which mm, doesn't necessarily quite fit with what we expect relationships to look like because we're conditioned by society to have this incredibly kind of traditional, conventional, heteronormative yeah. view. Mm. And so I think that for me, what's really important about that final scene is that there is that it is ambiguous. And so for some people, they will interpret that as being a very clear indication that there's a romantic relationship between mm. those two characters. For other people, they won't, and that's fine. And then also mm. I think that for the characters th- themselves, they may not know what it is that they're feeling, and that's fine. Because yeah. we don't always have to put our finger on exactly what a feeling is. Like Relationships are incredibly complicated. They don't fit yeah. into binaries. They just don't. And I think particularly for the Doctor... Uh, you know, she doesn't know because you know it was only the episode before when Dan said, mm-hmm. you know, to to Yaz, you know, why haven't you told her? And then and then said to the Doctor, she likes you, and 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 there was an element of the Doctor being like, yeah, yeah, I've realised that, but also being completely kind of like, what, you know, sort of taken aback by it. So yeah, I think there's an element of of her not really yeah. knowing. You know mm. the, the, the whole totally. thing. Totally, and as they're not knowing exactly what Yaz is feeling because she's never really said it, mm. and there's also yeah. not knowing quite what she's feeling, and then there's also not knowing what to do with that feeling anyway because she's existing outside of the experience, a normal human experience. So what does one do with yeah. the feeling if it does exist in the situation that she's in? I think it's actually a perfect world universe through which to explore queer relationships actually because mm. everything mm. about Doctor Who is quite queer. You know, it's not normal. Yeah. It's not normal, as in I say that with um, you no. know, you can't see me, but with inver- quotation with quotation fingers. fingers, because yeah. I, like you know, because actually we're given this space where which is already kind of out of the ordinary, and so it's a perfect mm. space through which to explore relationship dynamics that don't fit into these kind of um, culturally synthesized binary yeah. structures. Um, and mm. yeah, I think I think it's important that we don't put a label on 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 Yaz and the Doctor's relationship. And I, I emphasize again that that's not for me. That's not a cop out. I'm a queer woman, and I, you know, I, I I'm proud of that. I, but I I think that mm. actually, what's what's most interesting about their relationship is its ambiguity, and because they're kind of existing out of time with each other, um, and out of time yeah. with the rest of the world as it is now. Um, and I think that there's, a, there's an opportunity to explore something very nuanced and beautiful, but complex. And yeah, I think that moment on the yeah. beach, for me, like it's it's a kind of subtextual acknowledgement of that. But what's yeah. interesting as well for me is that I I haven't seen the next episode. I okay, I was going to ask if you knew in writing it. I'm uh, never, I'm yeah. not going to sit before anyone else. So I've got this. I'm so actually in right, gonna... exactly the same position as you two and every other Doctor Who fan out okay. there because I've mm. taken the story up to a particular point and actually now we're all yeah. on the same level. So I don't know. Mm. Interesting. Don't know. That's interesting. And I yeah. think that it's kind of handed, handed over. over. And I think that that's a funny feeling, but it's also um, yes, right. You know, because mm, I yeah. don't know what mm. they're going to choose to do. Yeah. Yeah, I um, we're dreading. You we, know, we've the, all got the, our hearts in our mouths. Yeah, we, we, we don't want it to end. What's going to happen next? For, yeah, for many my, reasons. Um, you know. <laughs> my, my my daughter Ashley, when when she found out that we were going to be talking to you tonight, and because uh, she does sometimes join us she on does, the podcast, yeah. and she she didn't want to join on this one sadly, but she said if I do, she said I'm just going to cry. <gasps> <laughs> But, do you know, and it's kind of um, what we've just been talking about here has touched a lot of people mm. right at the core of their souls, no matter what your sexuality, I, I think. You know, it's, it's, it's something that is so true to being human, mm. you know, that it, that it transcends constraints. And it, it, it's a really, really beautiful thing, you know. And my daughter sort of came out a while ago and it's like well we always knew you know this is but it's it's like since she did that she's become much more confident in herself much more understanding and knowing and sure of herself and it means so much to see that churn of emotions and feelings represented in her favorite tv show it means a lot oh that is so great to hear and it's like that that scene on the beach it kind of kind of encapsulated mm. all all of that 
And going back to what I was saying earlier about having a very fast action-adventure plot-driven story, and within a space of, what, 43 minutes, you still manage to put something which is so transcendent at the yeah. core of it, at the heart of it. So the, the, the story, the true story, you know, not, not the stuff with the ships and the sea devils, the, the true story is about that relationship in, yeah. it, it, between it's the Doctor and Yaz. Yeah. And it's, it's it, honestly, Ella, it is wonderful, wonderful writing. Yeah. It, it's absolutely astonishing. Oh, you know, to, to get all those things together. And, you know, for, for me personally, I just want to just thank you so much for, for bringing that into to, into Doctor Who, it's um, it's it's really quite. Oh, I really appreciate that. And, Paul. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's right. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I, I don't give compliments <laughs> that, that often, especially when I'm suffering from yeah. colds and things. Yeah, you know, and I need but, a drink. Um, but uh, it, it does bring me also to to a question we have um, from Annie um, at Annie T Q E D, um, who edits the queerness at thequeerness.com. And she's, she's, she's actually asked two questions. It's, it's kind of like one question divided into two. Yes. So I'll, <laughs> but I'll we, read we will this out. allow it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I think it picks up quite nicely from what we were talking about. So um, Annie writes, you referred in the Doctor Who magazine to Yaz and the Doctor as a queer relationship. So would you agree that they are way beyond a friendship zone? And the script suggests that neither of them just want to live in the present. So was this a necessary narrative step? Which I think we've kind of more or less kind of answered. But then she goes on to say, did you realise the significance of the Doctor confessing her feelings for Yaz in that moment in the engine room? Not just for Doctor Who, but for a global franchise and hugely positive impact on young LGBT plus people it could have with its reach. <laughs> and then she closed off by saying, "My thirteen-year-old self cried. <laughs> so emotional, this. It really yeah, is. Really um, is. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions in there. Like you said, all kind of wrapped up together. Um, I think we are. Yeah, it's I a think lot to there's unpick. so much to unpick. I mean, uh, yeah, you could probably do a whole podcast just on that. I um, I, yeah. I, I think that when when we first when we first started working on the episode we were very plot focused because mm. we needed to just get a story together and it wasn't until I was mm. a draft or two in that actually we had a really big conversation about what the character you know what the characters were doing and what we needed the relationships yeah. to do and then we started to weave through the Yasin doctor relationship narrative and I just felt this absolute elation I remember when we when they said that that this is the way that we were mm. going to go and they gave me license to go there I just thought, imagine all of the people out there who are going to feel rep- like represented through this, and mm. um, particularly something it's like huge. an institution yeah. like Doctor Who, which has been going such a long time throughout periods where where queerness has been much less accepted and understood, mm. Mm. and actually, like it felt like a really important step. Yeah, and I did feel that. I think that I hadn't quite appreciated until um, until. It, was aired and until people started talking yeah, about yeah, it yeah. and so I really really personally understood as well as somebody who hadn't been like mm. an avid watcher of the show previously mm. I, I started to understand the investment that people had in that relationship properly and I really respect that and I really kind of um it made me feel like I had quite a lot of responsibility actually which is an interesting feeling given that I'm not running the show so that was also a funny feeling because I was thinking <laughs> gosh I really I haven't seen the final cut people kept asking me questions about about yeah. how the relationship was going to come out, and I thought, well, I wrote, did write that, but I can't remember. I haven't seen the production draft, and now I've cut that line, and I, you know, I wasn't <laughs> in control of what they cut. So I thought, well, I yeah. don't know whether that's still going to be in there. And I thought, oh gosh, what if they take the whole thing out? Mm. And then all these, all these people are going to hope for this thing, and then it's not going to be there. And then obviously, yeah. I had this, all this anxiety. <laughs> I was like, they're going to be knocking down my door. And then it's like, oh, I was like, what am I then doing? What's my responsibility as a queer woman? Yeah. And then actually, yeah, I think that they um. They did. They did keep it. In. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. been so it's been so good because um, you know the Doctor and Yaz have had such a, a great friendship, mm. haven't they, Paul? Across their their time and and you know there's been all these little bits and pieces of you know kind of the feelings and 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 that's why people have picked up on it and where the whole Thasmin uh, you know uh, thing has kind of grown from. So to see it kind of properly acknowledged, re- you know, recently has mm. has been fantastic, I think. And also it, it kind of you know, Jodie and Mandip are so great in mm. real life together and, and they have such a good friendship that, uh, you know, I, I think to uh, to kind of bring that in, into their characters in a way has, has been brilliant, really. Yeah, I mean... Um, I'm aware that you probably haven't got much time left, um, so 
Sorry, I've just I've just completely cut you off there. No, Sorry. don't worry. No, don't worry. Um, I guess I was. <laughs> Does it all the bleeding time? All I was going to say was that I wish it wasn't such a big deal, actually, mm. because then it would yeah. show that we had much more representation and nuanced representation across mm. the board in our media. And um, and mm. I think the fact that this has felt so important is testament to the actors, obviously, to the to the to the previous episodes to the the way that that relationship has been so kind of sensitively handled over the last mm. season. Mm. But I also think it's partly because we're not used to seeing these necessarily ambiguous and complex relationships explored on screen mm. in the mainstream. Obviously, there's a huge amount of queer, incredible queer art out there. I'm not, I would I hate to diminish from that, and I won't, because I, 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 I experience a lot of it mm. myself. But I just mean that actually... Because it's mm. such a kind of mainstream institution, I think that's why it feels so yeah. important. Um, and I hope mm. there's more, and I hope it remains nuanced. Because I think that, like, one of the things that's really important is that, particularly in in queer relationships, whatever your interpretation of, mm. of queer is, and I think I made kind of mine clear earlier on in the in the podcast, but it's like that actually it isn't always that clear what's going on yeah and so and actually they're the things i'm fascinated mm. by you know that that it's that, that what's it yeah, it, it, those is, spaces it, in yeah that, that actually when you're working out your feelings it's not that clear-cut always and mm. um and that you don't know whether it's just it's a very profound deep friendship or whether there's more to it and and that is a real experience i think that a lot of people have yeah. um, when they're working out their sexuality or throughout their incredibly long changing journey of sexuality throughout their mm. lives you know you meet yeah. people all the time and you're kind of trying to suss out how you feel about them that's lovely um so we've got maybe two quick mm-hmm. questions here so this is from head desk who's at miss head desk uh, the doctor's flirting scenes with yaz are pure brilliance then <laughs> um, did you have any more ideas of ways the doctor would flirt um i, I would i would say that probably uh, you know badly yeah i mean i think we kept enough awkwardness in there on mm. purpose um mm. i don't think she's a natural mm. flirter um no. i mean yeah i guess i've got more ideas yeah but i mean i probably <laughs> i probably flirt as awkwardly as the doctor so you know, i think it'd be quite easy <laughs> for me to write that <laughs> well, I, th- I think it probably um probably ga- gave us all hope really didn't it yeah <laughs> so, who, who are not uh, not skilled in that area i don't have yeah. to worry about flirting now well no that's so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so can we, we just maybe one last question um so this is from hang on uh this is from oscar groucho uh, who's at Oscar Groucho's, did you find that having the opportunity to tell a story at a very particular time in Jodie's tenure in the role afforded you greater dramatic latitude to really explore hers and uh, Yaz's dynamic and the world established by, by Chris? And what was your takeaway of the whole experience? Oh, um, well, I think it's an interesting question because I was only ever given that episode, if that makes sense. So, like, I've never experienced mm. what it's like to write in a uh, earlier on um so i felt i was very aware of the fact that i was writing one of the one of her final eps and that there would be quite a lot of gravity like every choice we made would be significant um Mm. i don't i mean i guess it did afford me more opportunity to explore the relationship because there was an there was a kind of expectation to be building towards a climax that we're going to have in this final episode um but I think that I was working within particular parameters, so I wasn't kind of it. I I couldn't have chosen to take it in a particularly different direction. That wouldn't have been mm. within my remit. Yeah. Um, so it was kind yeah. of like I was having lots of. I was taking as much freedom as I could within the kind of space that I was given. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, generally that didn't stop it from being an incredibly liberating and fun experience. Brilliant. You know, yeah. sometimes you need to have um, the boundaries set in order to then play. Brilliant. Would you write Doctor Who again, Alan? Um, I would, yeah, if, yeah, if they have me it. back. I mean, I definitely yes. also, you know, it'd be really fun, Russell T. Davis coming mm. back, right? And, like, yeah. it would be fun to yeah. see what, how a different, you know, a different showrunner runs it and, and also just, he's a legend, Chris yeah. the legend, mm. Russell the legend, you know, it's like, yeah, I do, I would. I think, um, I think that I would love to be involved, um, you know, like, in a writer's room for it, bashing ideas around, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll see it's all about yeah. timing isn't it like I'm going off on my little writing journey which is taking Definitely. me quite far yeah. away from the Doctor Who world um, yeah. and yep. you know 
writers hopefully have long careers um let's see i don't want to feel like maybe i've just cursed myself um but you know like i'm, I'm planning to do this for quite a long sure time um as long as yeah, my brain right. stays working so i'm really hoping yeah. That, um, yeah. that i'll have a chance to wind my way back again one day yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's fabulous yeah. how it's all taken off for That's you. I awesome. mean, literally just exploded in the yeah. last few years, isn't it? Which oh, is yeah, quite incredible. Fun. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, look, yeah. the actual, the actual <laughs> the no, expression sorry, on your face. I just kind of meant actually, uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like that, you know. But it's it's interesting hearing you say that because yeah. actually, the po- really, my life is quite. It, I just I write a lot, you know, and that's actually quite a ca- calm, mm. quiet yeah, um, yeah. existence. I mean, sometimes I get to do fun things mm. and, and you know go to set and film and go to different countries and stuff but actually a lot of the time it is mm. just quite a kind of quiet and solitary S- process solitary, and so it's yeah. the, the exploding doesn't feel like the right um word <laughs> you know what i mean it just oh, feels it. like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's quiet it's quite quiet yeah yeah, yeah. well um, busy then you've, you've got a lot of yeah, projects busy. going yeah, on yeah busy you? you're, right you're word, in demand yeah. which is which is always no, fantastic. Which is, which is unbelievably great, yeah. lucky i think at some point they're all going to realize that i'm that I'm just, you know, pretending. No, no, no. Well, no, 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 we, we all, we all think that in, in, in the creative world, but it's, imposter it's syndrome. That's what that is. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, it's um, rife. It's rife. It's rife. That yeah. Yeah, you don't want to go down that road. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I just got one, one quick question, which I think someone uh, asked on Twitter as well. Did, did you get to visit the set when they were filming the episode? And did, did you meet Jodie and Mandip and John and everyone? I did. Yeah, I, I ah, visited jammy. very briefly, but it was, it was all quite <laughs> COVIDy. Yes. It was, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, I think, the day before my 30th birthday. Right. I believe. Maybe my 30th birthday gathering. But anyway, yeah, I went up and um, just had a day. And mm, it was so fun. So. And I got to meet everyone. And it's always weird as a writer visiting set. You feel like a little lemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the water, everyone. Well, also, you don't have anything to do. You're kind of just standing there eating yeah. and catering, like, <laughs> watching in the corner. So someone then asked me for if yeah. one of, what some, one of the lines in the script meant. And I was like, oh, I've got something to do. Um, but <laughs> do you yeah. think they just said no, that politely? You know? <laughs> yeah. I think they just did it to make me feel yeah. involved. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, it was lovely to meet everyone. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Well, Ella, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Who Corner to Corner tonight. Oh, and, my, um, my you know, your your contribution to the Hooniverse has been, uh, you know, massively loved and, and enjoyed by many people. And we look forward to seeing what comes next from you, whether it's in, in the world of Doctor Who or something that you're conjuring up yourself. So, yeah, best of luck with everything. We, we look forward to seeing what's thank next. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Both. Thanks, Anna. Thank you so much. And the very best of luck to you. Everything that you do. Oh, thanks. Take care.